In his book, Thinking Fast and Slow, Daniel Kahneman describes an experiment he once conducted. Individually, he asked participants to listen to a radio editorial using new headphones. People were told the experiment was to test the quality of the audio equipment and were instructed to move their heads repeatedly to check for any distortions of sound. Half the participants were told to nod their heads up and down, while others were told to shake their heads from side to side. Those who nodded tended to accept the message they were hearing as factual and agree with it. Those who shook their heads tended to reject the message as false or disagree. This is one example of the human mind. Gradually, we are discovering we are not so conscious and autonomous authors of our own judgments and choices. Today on Stories and Strategies, what if we could understand those choices others make a lot better? Better than they do. For the greater human good. There are lots of companies saying they can do that. We meet one that's proving it. My name is Doug Downs. My guest this week is Shaoni Lin, founder and CEO of Lin in Cardiff, Wales. Hi, Shaoni. Hi, Doug. Thank you so much for having me today. And you are, we're recording in August. Folks won't hear this until September, maybe October if they're listening a bit later, but we're mm -hmm. recording in August. How are things in Wales today? You've been having a lot of heat. Hot. Yes. Very hot. It is extremely hot. I've got the fan off, so we've got a good quality of recording. So stop panting on a pass out. Glass <laughs> <laughs> of water by it's your very, side. It's very, very hot. I do have the water. Yes, I'm well prepared. But yeah, no, it's, uh, we're not used to. Uh, such consistent levels of heat so um yeah it's it's gonna get worse i think over the years so mm. yeah mm. And, this uh, for the long haul we'll bridge to that conversation on climate change within our discussion here too shayoni you started in journalism so you have a bit of my heart already you know i'm kindred spirit started as, as a reporter but you've now been working in public relations, and we'll talk a bit more about that for over a decade, you're the chair for the Wales Group for the Public Relations and Communications Association, or the PRCA. You're also involved with the Chartered Institute for Public Relations, CIPR, and you've been recognized in the top 35 business and professional women in Wales under 35. Now, the awards your team has won are extremely impressive. Fastest growing communications business in the world, which was Provoke Media, fastest growing communications business in the UK, which if you're going to win the one, you're going to win the other. You should. <laughs> Sabre EMEA Digital Consultancy of the Year, also from Provoke. Uh, UK Top 150 Consultancy in 2022. Number two, Public Sector Consultancy. Number one, New Consultancy. And in PR Week, you were listed within their Top 150 Consultancies in 2022. And you received the Mark of Excellence at the CIPR Excellence Awards in the New Consultancy category. And Shayoni, I haven't listed them all, just as a <laughs> kindness to the listener. But let's start at the top. Um, 
what is behavior, uh, behavioral science consultancy? How is it different? Because you're not a PR or marketing agency. You are truly something different. How is it different from most PR or marketing firms? Yeah, good question. So I suppose before I answer how we are different, if we start with what behavioral science is, um, and as you'll know, there are many definitions. I uh, I tend to like Matt Wallard's definition, which is behavior as an outcome, science as a process, because we are talking about applied behavioral science, which implicitly is about changing behaviors. So what behavioral science really does, and I know your listeners have had um, exposure to behavioral science content, so some of this will not be unusual, but it's about unlocking um, why people do what they do. So it provides a deeper understanding on, on the conscious, the subconscious, the unconscious, motivations and influences that drive our decision making. It can really help explain why humans behave the way they do. Very important for a communicator. And often it may also help us predict how they will behave in the future. Um, so in, in terms of how we are different, we, uh, we don't see ourselves through any particular lens. Uh, we're certainly not PR. Uh, we tend to define ourselves as behavioral science communications consultancy. The way we approach work is to look at what is the problem we're trying to solve, what are the behaviors we're trying to influence, and therein work out the barriers, propose solutions, and basically come, come at it from a perspective of can we help. And I think it's really important because when people hear behavioral science, they tend to... Um, flags get raised quite often and I often get the ethics question mm -hmm. and now I've got a slide on my presentation decks which clearly outlines the position which is that Lane we're about changing behaviors through education and persuasion never through manipulation so we always look to change behaviors for good um, we look to change behaviors to improve and save lives which is our mission mission statement and also really important to clarify that um, at Lynn, uh, with the behavioral science frameworks and techniques that we use, we are all about preserving agency. So we never look at taking away choice, instead presenting choice in a way that audiences will actually pay attention, that audiences will actually understand the message, and then they will take the action that's right for them. And that is up to the audience. And we hope that by creating uh, an environment where their decisions and the impact of their decisions are made more salient, that they would take the decisions that are good for them and that end up improving and, and saving their lives. Um, in terms of uh, going back to the question of how we're different, useful to articulate, I suppose, how we're set up. So we have three um, specialisms within the business. We have the BS unit, sexily named, obviously, behavioral science. And that particular <laughs> unit um, looks at everything from research, design, and experimentation. So within research, we offer that analysis of what, you know, if you've got a particular problem, a societal challenge, or an organizational challenge of this is the problem we have, we come at it with, okay, so these are the things you need to do to be able to move behavior in a, in, in a way that is good for audiences, again, clarifying that it has to be about audience good, but that will help you get there. So examples being public health, you know, these are the things that we recommend from a communications perspective, from a policy perspective, or a decision making or what we call choice architecture perspective. And um, we also then have the misinformation cell. And within the misinformation cell, um, we offer a variety of uh, intelligence 
um, services, uh, particularly around reputation management, but also around inoculation from uh, mis and disinformation for audiences. And then we have integrated campaigns. And integrated campaigns uh, uses the LIN framework, which is a trademark framework that blends strategic communications with behavioral science methodologies. And it's a cons consistent model we use across all our work to provide that robustness and rigor from that academic scientific perspective so that we can blend that with then creativity to create campaigns that have impact and ultimately do change behaviors. Um, so hopefully that explains in terms of how we are set up and um, just to also add point of differentiation until someone challenges me and says otherwise uh, we uh, we believe that we are the only UK agency that has embedded experimentation into all campaigns so when we look at testing campaigns typically testing tends to be qualitative or um, quite basic generic AB testing we go that one step further and look at field trials uh, to really be able to prove our recommendations and hypotheses why the true or untrue and give our client the confidence that our um, solutions, our creative ideas will actually replicate once the campaign is activated. Well, that's going to attract more and more scientists to you as well because you're accumulating data. Yeah. Absolutely. And we, um, you know, we are, we actually bring in more geeks into the business. I love saying that because for us, our heads of departments are subject matter experts. So we're built in a way where subject matter experts bring in that authenticity, authenticity and rigor, but they are supported by a team of robust integrated communications practitioners. And that's how we maintain that authenticity to our services. Behavioral change for the greater good using today's science. And you have three practice areas, Lynn Health, Lynn Planet, and Lynn Change. Talk me through a project. Let's Tell me a, a case study. Uh, in the beginning, the challenge or the pain points, what you did, what was implemented. I'd love to know about the experimentation that was involved and the ultimate outcomes. Yeah, so I'll talk you through one of our campaigns, uh, which is uh, one of our more recent award-winning campaigns. It's called Don't Miss Your Vaccine. Um, and it was uh, run for our client um, in the UK, the NHS Southeast London ICS. Um, and so this was during um, July of last year. You may or may not recall, but uh, we had in England a uh, directive from the Prime Minister to uh, release all restrictions. Um, so, you know, things were going to go back to normal quite quickly. And our client brought us in because um, contrary to uh, the hypothesis, that once the vaccination program moves from the priority groups through to mass vaccination, that take up within younger age groups would be quite high. But what we saw was contrary to that in that there was quite high levels of hesitancy in young people. So young people were actually uh, resisting and refusing the vaccine, which was creating a lot of concern in that run up to that um, lock uh, restrictions being um, restrictions being eased in England. So our client brought us in saying, you know, we have a few weeks to get this done. We need to improve our take up levels, uh, specifically uh, for under 40 year olds. So we segmented the groups into two, 18 to 29 and 30 to 39. That was done uh, to align with the vaccine data. So we could see what the communications impact was through to the actual outcomes. 
So we were quite fortunate in, in, a, in a way because two things, we'd worked with the client for several years. So we had a real sense of that particular patch. We knew the audience really well, but also we were undertaking primary behavioral science research into that exact same issue across England. So we had cultivated quite strong data insights, albeit not in that particular location, but from a similar demographic across England. So we had a real sense of a way young people were when it came to the vaccine um, uh, drive. Um, we were able to turn this integrated campaign around in one week, which was madness, and I never do that again. But we were able to do that because we had that research insight already. We also had a client that absolutely trusted us and totally took our advice and went with it. And we had that consistent framework to apply to, to a campaign. So we were able to turn it around. And one of the key um, insights we had was um, young people were A, feeling quite um, scapegoated because the media narrative here was, you know, the rise in infection was due to young people being selfish and them not protecting their community, et cetera, et cetera. So they were feeling quite scapegoated. Um, they were also, um, there was a lot of... Um, uh, describe risk versus experience risk. So lockdown one, when we didn't really know what COVID-19 was and the government tells you to stay at home to protect yourself and your family, very easy to be compliant because you haven't experienced that risk. But as you experience that risk and you don't perhaps fall ill with COVID-19 or you don't see people around you falling ill, you start you know, pushing those thresholds, those boundaries with risk. Um, and so that had led to a lot more risk-taking behaviors. And also you can look at hyperbolic discounting, for example, the trade-offs young people make. It's quicker for me now to go to a pub than think about what would happen seven days on. Um, so that, we, we had the insight and we knew it was agency was gonna be really important. So we changed the narrative from what was the norm at the time in the UK, which was protect yourself, your community, the safety and control message. And we knew that the big insight we had was freedom had to be framed in a positive sense. It needed to be about vaccination needed to be uh, reframed from being a threat to personal freedom to being something that enables you to go back to your life that you had pre-pandemic. So we leveraged personal benefit. So we were the first campaign in the UK that went from you know, it didn't go into the whole protected community because we tested that, by the way. But it went into do it for, frankly, do it for the selfish reasons, do it for going to the pub, do it for seeing your friends, doing for going, do it for going on holiday. So don't miss your vaccine. Whatever your reason, what the phrase was, whatever your reason, if you're over 18, don't miss your vaccine. And we uh, pulled together some really creative imagery and uh, narrative around sort of all of the stuff you could do if you got the vaccine. So that was uh, a four-week campaign that we turned around and that delivered a really high um, real-world outcome in that in 18 to 29-year-olds, we saw a 77.8% improvement in vaccine take-up uh, in wow. four weeks and um, a, a lower take-up for th 30 to 39-year-olds, which was 10.8%. But that was because they had access to the vaccine for longer. Uh, and we also right. saw very uh, high levels of improvement with certain specific groups that were at risk at the time as well. So that campaign did exceptionally well. It's now in its 10th iteration we're still working on it. It's one of the most, uh, I would say, well-known vaccine, young people vaccine brand identities in the UK. Uh, it got commissioned by NHS England. Certain assets got commissioned to go England-wide. Uh, we had lots of discussions and continue to have discussions with uh, very senior colleagues in, in, in government and, and um, civil service. And um, yeah, the campaign, as I say, now in its 10th iteration, it's won several awards. Uh, it's won uh, awards in 
PR moment, PR weeks, yeah, PR excellence awards, etc. Um, so yeah, really proud of that one. I think that's a really good example of um, sort of behavioral insights, behavioral science approach in action, but at pace. I've got another podcast that I want to tell you about that I think you might like. Every week, the global creative agency Gray brings you exactly what you need to know to sound smart when talking about social media on the podcast, Five Things This Week in Social. The team at Gray have produced over 125 weekly episodes and were named Adweek's Best Agency Hosted Podcast for 2022. The hosts have partnered with some of the world's biggest brands and are experts in social media and emerging tech. They'll discuss everything from the next Instagram feature to how we shop in the metaverse. Listen to five things this week in social, wherever you get your podcasts. Search for it in your podcast app with the hashtag and the number five. That's five things this week in social. In a previous episode, well, two episodes, actually, we did with Rory Sutherland, we talked at length about nudge theory, which for you as a component of behavioral science, it fits in very nicely. Uh, folks in the UK will be very familiar. Maybe the US, Canada, I still think doesn't quite, uh, Canada and Australia maybe qu haven't quite, nudge theory isn't a daily thing. Um, you go further though, if you want to hear about nudge theory, listen to Rory on one of those episodes, but you have something you describe as sludge theory. <laughs> what is that? I, I can't take any credit for that. That uh started with, I hope I'm not wrong in saying this, Cass Sunstein, the co-author of Nudge. Uh, oh, they who, did? Who, okay. Yeah, so it started, Cass did a paper on sludge, which then uh, has been expanded by several um, behavioral scientists, including um, someone from Canada, Dilip Soman. Um, and what sludge is, is the opposite of Nudge. It is where there is a lot of friction or hassle, whether intentional or unintentional, that stops people from doing something that is good for them and typically what you see in um, in sludges you see in government for example where there's a lot of bureaucracy there's a lot of complex information lots of different points of entry that unwittingly and unintentionally friction and hassle is created to reach x action so by having to go through that friction or that sludge Audiences may be put off, they might go through inertia, and they may defer their decision making. So it stops them from accessing something that's good for them. Um, on the other hand, you'd have um, intentional sludge, where you'd have um, organizations who know exactly what they're doing. They know that by introducing friction into a journey will um, stop customers from, say, uh, unsubscribing or uh, do X, Y, and Z that is not in the company's benefit as opposed to the audience's benefit, right? So a good example is when, uh, and this is a very classic example, is a gym membership and you want to sign out of it and horror stories of how difficult it is to <laughs> sign out, you know, cancel a gym membership. I've seen... I've seen people like literally, I, I'm trying to think of this, I think Dilip uh, shared it on Twitter, but it was this uh, experience of an individual who had to call a particular phone number and then fax a letter and then get that notarized. It is just absolutely insane. But, you know, 
likely it is that they know exactly the organization knows that by introducing those friction points uh, you just give up because that's a human tendency to give up especially if it's small amounts that doesn't really you know impact us um and you know if it's like an x amount and you're like fine that's it's not worth the trouble so i'm just gonna i'll do that tomorrow you keep deferring it so that's sludge so what we do at uh, lynn is we provide um, a sludge audit so where we go in typically in um, online environments where we help uh, our clients understand that uh, because we tend to work uh, also in the public sector quite a lot that the the way they've set up perhaps their content their calls to action the user journey is um not in the audience's interest and friction points and hassle is stopping individuals from taking that call to action that is good for them. Perfect. Last question. Um, misinformation and disinformation, one being uh-huh. maybe accidental, the other being intentional. Correct. Uh, all the rage, all the scorn Correct. right now. Um, it's a key segment mm-hmm. offering for you. How can you help governments and large organizations with misinformation and disinformation? Yeah, so that's um, we. So <laughs> is it worth me just outlining the the different types of information just to be just to be clear? So misinformation, as you say, is is the um, is inaccurate information that is shared without the intent to mislead or cause harm. Disinformation is um, organized; it's inaccurate information that is shared with the intent to mislead or cause harm. Um, and there's also then to consider malinformation, which is accurate information that is shared with intent to cause harm. And also conspiracy theories, not to forget the belief that events are being controlled behind the scenes by a secret cabal of evil individuals for for their own benefit. So the misinformation cell um, at, at the business. Um, w- we are focused on providing a very different service than the other mis- and disinformation services out there. We we take a very human, qualitative approach to being able to help clients um, build, as I say, either protect um, their own reputation. So uh, by that, we provide intelligence solutions where we're able to identify mis-disinformation um, that uh, narratives that are springing up in the niche corners of the internet before it hits the mainstream of, say, the Twitter. Um, so we are able to provide that intelligence to help organizations be ready to respond back should misdisinformation hit their mainstream and be able uh-huh. to respond in a more strategic manner. We also offer inoculation services, which is about protecting the, co- the community and their audiences. So we offer, um, for example, a very strategic moderation service that protects digital communities and it has uh, been proven to reduce trolling and to increase trust in online communities towards, so this particular example was in public health, where there was a lot of uh, disinformation around vaccine vaccines for pregnant women and we were able to intervene and build trust within that community um, and and be able to demonstrate that the information that was being shared by other certain members of the community and in some case organized i.e disinformation uh, was with the with the view to spread bad information that's bad for individuals to access if that makes sense so we offer mm-hmm. like those sort of reputation which is more preventative so almost like an insurance policy the organizations can access to be prepared um, and also then the more reactive when it's happening here and now it's affecting our communities our messaging is not resonating our content is not resonating trust is dipping how can we then build trust within the community how do we then inoculate them against bad actors Shayoni, I love this. What a powerful episode. Thank you so much today. 
Thank you, Doug. I hope that was uh, hope that was enjoyable for your for your listeners. Thank you for having me. If you'd like to send a message to my guest, Shayoni Lin, you can email her at contact at Lin dot global and emphasis on the global. Just because you're in the UK, you are truly a global company, and that the world has changed. So, if someone Correct. in the United States or in Canada or Australia uh, wanted to engage your services, they can do that, right? Absolutely. We are having conversations on, on a global stage, as you can imagine, the, the services we bring to the table, specifically around our specialisms of behavioral science and misinformation strategy, are unique and can really help clients um, maintain a competitive edge. Um, so yeah, we're very happy to have conversations uh, and we'll go wherever the conversations take us. And, and there are going to be localized societal preferences, leanings, um, but, but you're able to cover that as well. And that email, by yeah, the way, yeah. is in the show notes. Uh, we also have a link to the Lynn website in the show notes. That's absolutely worth about an hour of your time. Seriously, if you're having lunch in front of your computer, spend time on Shaoni's website. Stories and Strategies is a co-production of JGR Communications and Stories and Strategies podcasts. We're hoping that you might just recommend this episode to one friend. Thanks for listening.